Welcome. Uh, this is Men on Wire, episode two. We apologize for we had a week off there. We had one episode. Uh, decided we deserved a break, so ski we're back. Trip. <laughs> did you take a ski trip? No, but Bar Hill did offer me to to pay for me to go skiing. Did I tell you that? Nah. No, yeah, I, I haven't really talked about it at all. But where? Uh, and I haven't even emailed them back. Vermont, somewhere they want to fly me up. Oh, that's yeah. good. Do it. If it was like wintergreen yeah. in uh, Virginia, no, thank you. But well, if if it was wintergreen, it would be. Right by Devil's Backbone and close to my house, so I would do it. Yeah. But that's not the point. Uh, yeah, I don't know. People right, didn't well, tune in specifically to hear about uh, <laughs> potential ski trips. So we are starting this like mid-conversation with other stuff. So the other voice you hear is uh, my co-host, Parker Gerard. At Parker Gerard. At, is that really your think. handle? That's my Twitter handle. On Instagram, it's different, though. I should probably change that. At Parker Dark. It should be Parker Dark. My Twitter handle should be Parker Dark. So if this is your first time tuning in, uh, what we're doing here is we're rewatching the HBO classic The Wire uh, week to week. We're going to watch an episode a week. Hopefully we might <clears throat> try to speed that up. I don't know. I'm thinking for myself here, but Parker has well, a job. Like, we, should, we should do, like, if we're going to do this, like, we should just do three episodes at a time. You know what I mean? And just knock a bunch of shit out. Right, but they're just so dense. Yeah, we could do, we could do three episodes at a time and then do like three episodes of the podcast about each of those episodes. But when you watch two back to back, it gets hard to differentiate. It does get hard. Yeah, um, it really does. So anyways, we, uh, each week we kind of recap. Um, we're still kind of figuring out the, the, uh, mode. We're going to go into certain different character arcs, themes, uh, you know, revisit a really wonderful show, uh, 15 years later now. So this it really week is we, like, I'm watching it and it's like stupid. Good. There's some stuff in this, Stuff, this show that's really dense, especially when you think about. And if you, when was the last time you watched it? Uh, I mean, I watched it like a year ago, and every time I watched an episode, or like more accurately, five at a time, I would come into work and be like, "Oh, like, dude," and you're like, "Where are you? Tell me." Yeah, yeah. that was your first time, uh, though, right? Yeah, because I'd never seen the show before. Yeah, so I, for me, it was like when you first watched the show. I was younger, maybe in my late teens or something, and you're like oh man, like drugs are a problem and like, yeah. you know, whatever, like everybody, there's like gray area and you kind of like learn about storytelling and it was like very eye opening. But when you go back yeah. and watch it, like there's so much stuff they're doing little beats with characters here and there that you pick up every time around. It's like, oh, okay. So like so-and-so they're going through this. I didn't notice or, oh shit, that little comment actually has yeah. relevance or something. So, and this is, I mean, going into the quick the recap now um i didn't realize that d'angelo barksdale would have like the most screen time of anybody episode two uh, yeah I th- it, you know yeah yeah stringer had like one line in the whole show and then it was all just kind of especially on the you know on the drug side it was all uh d today right for sure yeah um so this is episode two of men on wire and we're going to be focusing on episode two of the wire which is called the detail um Let's not go into super granular like we did last week. Basically, yeah. in this week's episode, we see the details start to come together. All the detectives. Mm. Um, and there starts to be some things happening wherein McNulty is still moving around politically. 
yep. behind Daniel's back. Um, at the same they time, a, they have a home base now as well. They're right. In, they the, have a really shitty, shitty yeah, yeah, home base in the basement. Yeah. That's like kind of a I'm, metaphor for their. I'm you know. used to the the detail in like seasons two and three where they're in like that, like almost like a clubhouse. They're like yeah, a yeah. Rundown police station that they like fix up and write like you know no girls allowed on the front or whatever they mm-hmm. they do. I don't know. That's just how <laughs> I'm seeing. It. But at the same time as the details coming together, um, some of the detectives are starting the work. So. Like McNulty and Bonk, uh, they bring in D'Angelo off the street just to kind of push him around and see if he bends. Um, Kima and Herc and Carver are doing like some intelligence with uh, Bubbles, the drug addict, Mm -hmm. just taking pictures, stuff like that, collecting data. Later in the episode, um, Herc – I'm sorry. uh, We find out that Prez is like not only incompetent or a – not only an unknown quantity but is like – at, at best, right? Yeah, he's like, at worst, just like a like almost incomprehensibly stupid. He shoots his firearm inside their office by mistake, and at yeah. worst, like a a really big piece of shit who like beats up this kid at a, you know, it was an instance of police brutality later in the episode. Yeah, um, that ties I had up a moment, Daniels. Uh, uh, last week, where I I said I really didn't like that part in the the pilot where Stringer was. Uh, like drawing a picture of like McNulty being like I'll kill you or what like it was just kind of dumb. This one I think the the one like early season characterization flaw that I really don't like is the fact that like Prez goes on to do a lot of stuff on the show uh, and he's a very important part of the show especially in like season four. But in season one he forgets that there's a bullet in the chamber and you're like, how the hell? And like, and he fires it too. And then they come out and he's like totally fine and not startled at all by like a gun going off in his no, hand. And he goes like, Oh, the chamber. Right. Like, right. Fires it. like and it's problematic too. It you is problematic through a police academy to get where right. you are. So and like, the, other, the reason it's problematic for you and me and other people who have seen the show. And we've already said, we don't want to go too much into detail about seasons on the line, but like you said, Prez does a lot in The Wire in later seasons. And I know that they're, like, putting signposts down now that are... Yeah. When they're not operating in the gray, like with Daniels right now, they're very polar. So, like, yeah. they have to they have to paint him as a fucking nincompoop to get him to where he needs yeah. to go. They're like, oh, um, he doesn't know how a gun works. And, like, Freeman only cars furniture. And, right, like, but it just feels... Yeah. It does feel sort of... I don't know. It's like, it's a little bit much. It's not lazy characterization, but it's like, it's a, it, it, in retrospect, it's a bit over the top. Yeah, but anyways, yeah. Prez later goes out with Herc and Carver drunk to like police the projects and let them know who they are. And they yeah, end up yeah. basically inciting a riot. Prez hits somebody over the head. That becomes an issue with Daniels, their commander. Yeah. Um, who's also, his storyline in this episode is kind of running around trying to find better talent. Like he's pulling people from different departments, this and that. Yeah. Um, episode ends with uh, a call to Daniels being made that the kid who, that Prez had assaulted, it, did he, I just watched this and I don't remember, did he die or is he blind? No, he's blind in one eye. He's blind in one eye. Yep. Um, that'd be I a kinda, hell of a fun call to be like, he got punched in the face, but he's dead. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, in my head, I was like, I have to be wrong about that. Um, yeah. they, uh, I kind of flew through that and I, cause I want to go back th- thematically using your notes, but is there anything... Plot-wise that I missed, McNulty goes to the judge again, talking about how oh, they... I mean, uh, we're going to go over D later, I think, so I'm not going to worry about that. Um, uh, they go to a barbecue. That's pretty great. Uh, Bubs yeah. gets $20 from McNulty. 
Uh, I'm just writing down stuff that I like. Thought I was like, oh, why am I writing this down? Uh, uh, what's his name? They try to clear McNulty's desk off in Rage, but they accidentally clear the wrong lieutenant. They, the it's wrong fucking uh, desk off. Yeah, it's good. I can't remember Rawls. the majors. It's just name. Rawls. Yeah. Rawls. Rawls. Yeah. yeah. Rawls. That was pretty good. Um, just a nice uh, little uh, comedic moments uh, throughout the show. Yeah. Not Bob's getting twenty dollars or something funny about giving Bob's twenty dollars. He's pretty great though. <laughs> He's Bob's. gonna go do a bunch of heroin. Yeah. Um, yeah exactly. And I love like, it. Kima's like yeah, Kima goes like, "Yo, twenty dollars." And McNulty just looks at her and she's like, "You're." I expect her to be like, "He's gonna fucking die," because he yeah. says he's like, "I'm fiending right yeah. now. Can you help me?" And she doesn't. She's like, "You're gonna spoil him." <laughs> it's like McNulty's like, ah, "I respect the work." <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, like McNulty's <laughs> destroying the market rate. It's like when baseball players get signed for more than they're worth. Like yeah, they're yeah, destroying yeah. the market. That's what McNulty yeah. did with Bubs. Um, yeah, all right, so let's. Let's go back through it uh, a little bit thematically. And you you brought up the opening quote, but also some really nice tie-ins throughout the episode. So the opening quote to this episode, which they always have in that single frame, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you cannot lose if you do not play. Well, I picked that. I don't actually don't know if that was the opening quote. Um, I picked that because at the I thought that that honestly was the best uh, like quote. I didn't even look up what the quote was at the beginning. Yeah, I, I didn't uh, notice but- it either. I just assumed because was, we were talking about it, but because it's it's the biggest through line, it really is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, everybody doesn't want to play because they don't want to lose. Basically, uh, mm-hmm. they you know are pulling D out of the interrogation room. Um, that was used by Daniel's wife, who later is is a political kind of thing on the show, and I think they've kind of mentioned it already. Um, the veteran cops they don't want to play. You know, there's a that really great quote about you know cases go from uh, red to black by green um you know yeah. basically like oh like if you want to play with me like it's it's cash i'm not gonna do my job for you know the salary or, or whatever right uh griggs trying to stay away from uh topics like her sexuality uh which is funny i feel like um if this show were and you you mentioned this a little bit if this show were written in in 2017 like that part well, h- how do you think that that line would be different all right, well, what we're talking about, and we'll, we'll backtrack through a couple of those, but with Greg's, what we're talking about is her and Herc and Carver are, like, going on a rooftop to take some pictures. Yeah. And Carver, out of nowhere, goes, like, Kima, uh, can I ask, do you mind if I ask you a question? Like, when did you start realizing that you like women? And Kima just goes, like, I do mind. And that's the end of it. But next week, uh, her and McNulty have another conversation about her sexuality. Okay. And, um you know, we'll go into that one, but it's all, it's all part of the same thing. And we could have the conversation now instead of next week, but it's like, I, I, it struck me that they might not have done this this year. And I want to be clear, not because, um, it's unrealistic or it's offensive or, you know, it's like egregious. Like, I think it's kind of realistic that her male counter, her male coworkers would be, would be fascinated by homosexuality or fascinated by, by her being a lesbian. I just don't know if a show like this, which was so, um, intent on always showing and not telling, like they don't lay out really anything for you. Like, look here, look here. There's very few signposts. I don't know if this show would have done that again. It's not a, it wasn't a huge deal. It just struck me that this is odd. I forgot about this. Her sexuality never really becomes a storyline. She has a home life just like all the other cops. And she has, you know, spousal, uh, arguments just like all the other cops. And she has drama just like everybody else, but it's never like, Hey, this season we're really going to explore like Kima and, <laughs> human and women. sexuality. Um, so I just happen. found it. It did strike me as odd that episode two, they're like, "Hey, hey, Gregs, when did you start liking women?" I just don't. I I don't know if they would have done it again. Um, just because oh, it's, it's just because it's useless. Um, 
there's an episode, there's something later in the the show. Do you know what I'm thinking of right now? That no. is about sexuality that they never mention it again. Oh yeah, no, it's very similar. Um, that, you yeah, know, do you want to talk about it? It's almost like right they now? had learned their lesson. Yeah, because it really doesn't matter. In season four yeah. or five, I believe, uh, there's a scene in a gay bar, and basically the camera just pans out from the two principals who are talking, and Rawls, the major, is sitting at the bar. He doesn't do anything, and the scene ends, and you never hear about it again. No, they never mention it. It's, um, it's crazy. They just which drop is, that, and then who that, cares? That, that speaks yeah. to my point a little bit, like almost like they had learned, or they had gone fully into show, don't tell by that point, where it's like, yeah. Yeah, hey, yeah. we're going to make this guy maybe a little bit more of a character, and we'll let you do the work, whether it's like, is he gay, is he, you know, is he in the closet, or is he just... Is this just his local bar, or is he confused, or is he ex- experimenting? It really doesn't yeah. matter, but it, it does flesh out his humanity. Whereas in yeah. season one, although I, I think that question might be more about Carver than Greg's, to be fair. Um, yeah. Because okay. the way he is yeah. in this season is still kind of like learning. He's still green. Um, He's very he, green. I mean, he, the, the whole everything that happens and, you know, what we're calling the field interviews is like – Dude, are you kidding me? Like yeah. every time I watch that, oh, I don't want to get too much into it because we're going to talk about it later. But every time I watch that scene, it's like the the pit in my stomach. Where as soon as they mm-hmm. go, like we should go, like bust some heads, and you're like, oh, yeah. what are you thinking? Well, and Carver's time. another guy who has an arc throughout the series, not just the season. So starting here is sort of like he doesn't have a lot of tact yet in anything, his personal no. life or his police work or anything. So that question might be more about him really than Kima. But it did just strike me as odd. Um, let's go through the aspects of these episode, uh, this episode looking at You Cannot Lose If You Do Not Play. I want to talk mm-hmm. about each character, what they are, uh, each character, not every character, but the, the big ones in this episode and what they stand to lose and what they're doing um, and, and how much they're willing to play. So the first one mm-hmm. that you had was uh, D'Angelo. And we are introducing this episode to Maury Levy, who's one of my favorite Wire characters, because mm-hmm. um, he's just so f- like fucking evil and so self-interested and like the, the guy who plays him just does such a good job he's like dripping he with, yeah it, it, he's just so pompous and horrible well like um, he walks in and he's like dude we were his brisket tonight mcnulty like, what you, <laughs> like they know each other they have yeah, a relationship because right. he it's, represents all the drug dealers so yeah. d'angelo is being questioned in regard to the state's witness murder and mcnulty and bunk have like convinced him to write a letter to the victim's family just apologizing <laughs> um not as really anything other than just to get a feel for him, like this isn't, they're not collecting evidence. They're just making the kid cry for no reason by showing him pictures of Bunk's kids and convincing him to write a letter. And then yeah. Levy comes in and pulls him out. Um, and you, you were the, you were, this was first on your list. So what do you think about that? Oh, the lawyer trying to prevent D from yeah. talking basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just such a classic example of like, you can't win if you don't play. Like, uh, first of all, on the other side, um, McNulty and um, uh, Bunk are just very, like they want to play. So I think that the whole – this is a fight between the two phrases that they say at the dinner table with Daniels. Uh, you can't win if you don't play. And and Daniels goes, I thought it was uh, – or sorry, she says – His wife says you can't play. lose if you don't play, yeah. And he says, I thought it was you can't win if you don't play. So it's just this kind of like who wants to play, who doesn't want to play. So like clearly McNulty, Bunk, um, even Daniels are people that do want to play. And people like obviously – the status quo is working for them. So people like the lawyer and, and not D'Angelo. D'Angelo, I think, does want to play. Um, uh, Avon, obviously, Stringer, don't want to play. Uh, the top of the police regime, uh, Rawls, um, you know, 
uh, all those they guys certainly do not want to play. Yet. play. But I think you could unpack a little bit. Like it depends what game each character's playing, right? So you're saying you don't think D'Angelo wants to play. I um, think that there's a, a dichotomy on the show between people who do want to play and people who don't want to play, right? Because like obviously like there's a veteran veteran cops who are like do uh, you know if if you want me to fucking move like it's money and we even see that mm. in season five as well, right? Um, you know if I need that overtime like I need that that money, um, and then people who who do want to pay a play that are um, you know obviously McNulty always wants to uh, Greg to a certain uh, point. Daniel sometimes, um, things like that. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, Daniel's I, is I, fascinating yeah. in this episode particularly because I think that, and it's not a coincidence that the, the conversation and the phrase that we keep repeating is born from a conversation between him and his wife because yeah. Daniel's we really see in this episode the detail um, being pulled in both directions. He, mm-hmm. I hate to keep going back to the play, but it's like he doesn't clearly know to what extent or he knows what's right and what's wrong, right? But he doesn't know how to get what he wants on all fronts, which is to do yeah. good police work, we assume, and to advance his career, which appears yes. to be the most important thing to him when we meet him. Yeah. Um, so in the meeting with the bosses, he's being encouraged not to play, as we say. They even say, let's just let McNulty basically hang himself from his own rope. And hope they yeah. say, let's hope nothing turns up. They're rooting <laughs> against this becoming a case for political reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, but in the conversation with Greg's McNulty and Daniels, you can see that Daniels is compelled by this letter. He understands that there is more to it. But what's his response? No red balls, no grandstanding. Let's just get in and get out. That's the boss's yeah. line. So as episode two rolls on, he is still refusing to really, really take on this case with any measure of, of you know, earnestness or sincerity. It's, it still oh, feels absolutely. like a chore. Later... Uh, after the loose cannon crew, um, Herc, Carver, and Prez go in cause a riot in a, in a Section 8 housing, um, Daniel shows up in the scene and basically walks them through their story to uh, internal affairs. Oh, yeah. That's, um, I think, um, Daniel deciding is, is, throughout this episode, just deciding, you know, where he's going to play it straight uh, with, you know, uh, where he's going to play it straight and where he's going to skirt the lines of what is okay. So like, he seems like he's by the book and then all of mm-hmm. a sudden, you know, he's, he's reprimanding this, these people. And then he goes, if anyone asks you like why you pistol with that kid in the face, it was because your other officers were down and you felt threatened by him. And then you didn't use your gun to pistol whip a mm-hmm. kid in the face. You used your, I don't know, like a fist or I don't know. It was just right. very like, yeah, it was, uh, you know, you, you, what happened is Prez just did this to fucking show strength or be a, a dick or whatever. We don't know. Um, he wasn't provoked, he wasn't in danger, and he did blind this kid. Daniels is standing there saying, when they ask, essentially, you were you felt threatened, your officers felt threatened, and you were protecting yourself. Yeah. So at the same time as Daniels is towing this company line uh, with regard to the investigation, he also appears to be sort of ha- trying to cover for his police, which is, in this instance, there's just a lot to unpack here. Like, yeah. obviously it's misguided. Obviously it's not the right ethical thing to do because these policemen have oh, to, to cover for hurricane carver and right. like all those guys but yeah. what makes well, like it he even just, he, he talked about like the resources that was the one thing that he really uh you know harped on was like look at all of these you know resources that i've lost now from from doing this right uh, i lost a good I man i lost the car if, i lost the shotgun i lost the computer yeah if you lost another like i, I think that human you know human people obviously are, are valuable resources to him and, and everything that he's doing. So I, I think that 
it's it's a resources game with with Daniels for sure more than anything, right? Uh, you know, but you know yeah. the other part of this is which makes it even kind of exasperates um, the bad side of it is that he's doing this and it's he doesn't really even try to hide the fact that he his primary consideration is making sure that he doesn't have egg on his face. Yeah, like if it's his men who committed a crime, then that reflects poorly on him. That hurts his chances at promotion. Yeah. Um. So you know, as far as like whether or not Daniels is playing. Um, I don't believe that there is, I don't believe that there's one game in town, right? In this show. I think that these mm-hmm. characters choose which ones to play. So Daniels at episode two is, is consciously choosing the game of politics. And we see yep. that as well when he goes to the, uh, uh, the city prosecutor's office, Rhonda Perlman. Yep. Yep, and yep. essentially he's trying to get them to push the case of there being a dead witness so that he can get more resources. Because if he and goes she, up the chain of, yeah, if he goes up the chain of command, that looks poorly on him. Shit rolls back on him and again hurts his career chances. Yeah. Rhonda's response I was fascinated by in this episode because she essentially says, that's not what we do here. That's not how we play is actually the words that she uses. Um, the judiciary yeah. in the show doesn't get their nose dirty with things like politics or backdoor dealings for the most part. They do um, get, they get the casework and then they just mm-hmm. make the prosecutions, um, you know, straight and forward and simple, not as much power. Poli- I mean, I'm sure there's politics, but yeah, not as much. Mm-hmm. So as in the police department, at least in this show. So I think we are getting ready to see, and I don't remember the season really that well, but I think we're getting ready to see Daniels, um, decide that he wants to play a different game. Guys like McNulty, um, who you mentioned, uh, he's playing, what he considers cops and like it's he's playing the cops and robbers game and he's deciding not to play at all the political game. What he's doing is playing, he's playing every game, I think, because he's trying to prevent, uh, obviously, you know, they mentioned, uh, uh, Daniels mentions to him in the show that his own major has now thrown him under the bus and saying, let's let him, you know, drown in his own, whatever. I don't remember exactly what the metaphor was, but, and so he's going back to the judge. He's trying to save his own face. He's he's, uh, but he's also trying to catch the. He's the idealist of of the whole show, and he drives everything. Uh, right, but let me interrupt yeah. you on McNulty being an idealist. Yeah, because okay. at the end of the day, McNulty's playing the McNulty game, right? Like, yeah. this stuff is all driven by his ego and him wanting to. It 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 for him. It needs to be. Uh, Jimmy McNulty took on Ava on Bargsdale. It's not about Ava. Are you Barsdale saying that, that down. McNulty is is selfish? You think? He's self-absorbed, and I think his his okay. motivations are 100% personal. But it's, like, not because he wants to be promoted. It's just because he wants everyone to talk about how fucking smart he is. You know what I mean? Oh, you want to you wanna talk about some stupid McNulty shit? You want to talk about the ending where he's about to, like, he's in his car drinking jam? Like, the, the characterization of McNulty is, like, we get it. He's fucking a yeah, drunk asshole. That's he's like, like, I said it last week. He's in his week. car. Yeah, it's it's a lot. But he's in his car. He's he's drinking like a Jameson out of he's a bottle. He's listening to like fucking fifties pop lounge music. Like, and he what, falls what, down. What world a, does this happen? Yeah, he falls down a slippery, uh, but you know, hill going poo, and then he falls on his face, <laughs> and he's like, oh, what do I do? Like, he's the fucking. He's a clown, honestly. Right. He's, and he so, is. He, I would say he is the fool in a number of ways. He, right. He has in, the, the most power on the board, but also he is the the most yeah foolish and also you know he doesn't even know his own what he's capable of i think at this right. point and so if yeah. you're if you're greg if you're daniels right and you're playing the career game you have your motivation set if you're yeah. uh, like greg's and greg seems to be one of these characters who's caught in the middle but she is determined so far just to do her job 
and I mean that sincerely, and and yeah. and and I mean that in the, in the best way possible. She's doing police work um, because it's all that she can do. McNulty, when you're playing the McNulty game, he doesn't fucking care who he airs out, what bridges he burns. Really, if the work that he's doing is even worth a shit, as long as it's like moving the needle. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you know, we're finishing our recap here, and I do just want to summarize where we left off, and we're going to segue into. Um, D'Angelo with uh, the youngins that he's kind of coaching. So in episode one, we see Daniel's trying to figure out, and the theme I like we talked about is that, you, you know, you can't lose if you don't play. So Daniel's is trying to figure out which game he is going to engage in, real mm-hmm. police work or politics. D'Angelo's trying to decide, or let's leave D'Angelo. McNulty is determined to play his own game, which really just serves his ego. I would argue every game that he could possibly play. Right. Um, and then guys like Poke and Mahone... Um, they're basically, you know, these are the drunk cops who are determined just to basically sit right out to their retirement. Yeah. And they don't really have motivation other than just as like laziness, jadedness, and and not really giving a fuck at this point. They know There's it's a, a jerk off general assignment and they're not going to engage at all. I can't wait for the moment with one of those guys that I'm thinking of later in the season but also uh there's a moment in this season or in this episode where he goes um you know why aren't you mopping the floor and he goes seniority <laughs> yeah it's like so <laughs> stupid seniority <Yeah. laughs> um yeah, i want to ask you something one frustrating we're well, not frustrating but one thing i wish that they had done better in the early seasons is i like when the show presents like dualities so if if Daniels is a guy who's struggling with just being a careerist, and McNulty's a guy who's kind of his opposite, who is a, he's pouring his for whatever reason is pouring all his energy into the casework. Who do you see as sort of the 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 diametric opposite of like a Poke and Mahone? Because I don't think they do a good enough job of framing, say, Kima or Bunk as like professionals, right? Like do inside not, the lines, color inside the lines, yeah. passion for police work. Uh, I. Th- think um geez is is mcnulty not can you argue mcnulty not being the opposite of pokemon the guy who who basically put this whole thing together and set the wheels in motion and and um and all of that there uh, no I wish you I could, could yeah. you could but i just think mcnulty he's so all over the place that like i characterize his motivation as being and i did this just a second ago more about mcnulty than the police work right yeah so Daniels is also more about Daniels than the police work. So that's why they're sort of a nice pair because, yeah. but, but it just comes out in different ways. Like McNulty's motivation is not a passion for policing or an, a sympathy or an empathy for the plight of the Baltimore underclass or, yeah. or, you know, being worried about, you know, new policing yeah. solutions. Okay. McNulty's fucking concern is McNulty. So yeah. I, you know, do you see a counterpoint yet? And I think maybe one will emerge to poke Mahone guys who were on the job and just don't give a shit. Yeah. I don't think there is in the police a wholehearted, fully committed to the job uh, person. But there are moments that McNulty has that are very um, unselfish. Later in like season two, episode one, I'm thinking of a moment where he's really unselfish and it's it's kind of he could have done it. it well, even that actually is, is motivated in his own. Yeah, you're right. I think you're right. I, I, but no, I don't think that there's a single character on the police force that is wholly motivated by doing good police work other than and I can't remember his name, the guy who is doing uh, undercover work for um, the detail right now. And he's he's in the end of the episode. Uh, faken as a, a drug dealer, and he's he kind of does. Um, Sidnor, yeah, 
I think if he is probably the most, but I've... and Daniels actually gets Sidnor in this episode. He goes to in the detail episode. Oh two, yeah, of he course. goes to a downtown office and asks some questions about Prez, who we find out, <laughs> dude, how much like David Simon loved writing the word suction into this show. I think more than anything, <laughs> like. They say suction more than we just said, like, play in the <laughs> yeah. last segment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we find out that Prez has suction with the mayor's office because his, like, he has a family member or something, uh, who we find out later. But at this point, he has a family member who's high up in the, in the department. Yeah. So Daniels is, like, on this fact-finding mission and then basically barters with another commanding officer. Be like, I need one of your guys. I need Sidnor, who yeah. has a reputation for being really good police. Yeah. Um, and you're right. We'll get to him. Let's... Uh, Take a quick break. That's basically our recap. I know that was all over the place a little bit, but um, the theme was really strong in this episode, and we wanted to attack it from that way. So, yeah. um, as always, we hope you watch the. You know, don't don't rely on Men on Wire instead of watching the show. If you watch the oh, episode, no, no, you should no. be able don't, to follow. Do not watch the show. Just listen. Yeah, to we're we're gonna try not to do fucking like rote recaps. And then he walked into his car. So, um. Anyways, we're going to take a quick break, and then I want to come back here, and uh, Parker, you're going to talk a little bit about D'Angelo, because we did get a lot of D in this episode. Um, yeah, we really, really, really And did. I think that you have, uh, I think you have some good thoughts. We'll, we'll get into Nuggets right now. Um, we'll tie that into D'Angelo when we get back. Cool. I've got a 14-year-old in critical but stable condition at university. And two witnesses who say one of you, Princess Cole, cocked him with the butt end of a pistol. Most sir. I got his mother over the IID filing a form of brutality charge, which for her will make an even four in the last two years. It's not sustained. But all of them true. Lieutenant, we thought that... I got one less crown Vic than I had last night. I'm out two Kevlar vests that burned in a car, two handheld radios, a shotgun, and I'm about to lose this idiot here for a week or two of medical. And for what? What did you learn when you went into the terrace at 2 in the morning to conduct field interviews? What valuable information did we acquire from this situation? All right, we're back. Um, Wait, wait, you got to go longer than that for the break before you just go into we're back because you didn't even finish your your word (laughs) i have a i'm gonna fucking use this and i'm not gonna go longer oh okay we are back um yeah we have side conversations during breaks um yeah deal with it people you don't know (laughs) that i'm watching the expanse right now and i really love it we uh i said we were going to talk briefly about d'angelo and daniels i think they're the two sort of pillars of this uh episode so parker i i feel like you have some good thoughts about d'angelo yes. here so, so like, why don't you get us kicked off on his arc in uh in episode two the detail let's walk through everything that d'angelo did because d'angelo did get more screen time than anybody in this entire episode and i think that that's totally warranted and i i wouldn't have been able to predict something like that right. if you would ask me who had the most screen time i would say i don't know mcnulty yeah or- you always think mcnulty like i yeah. it's just for some reason they did a good job of like in- ejecting him into the memory of this show even though He's he's not he's not on the periphery, but he's certainly. I mean, you're right. I mean, this is a this is a D'Angelo best, episode. Like, you know, fuck you moments of the show, and there's like a honeymooners esque relationship between Rawls and McNulty. You yeah, know, yeah. McNulty. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. oh, Jesus Christ. So D'Angelo, uh, first of all, a he gives an amazing uh, chicken nugget speech, which I I think is is really great. But we have a whole segment on chicken nuggets later, so I won't really ruin mm-hmm. it. Um, just kind of uh, it basically. Oh yeah, well, we won't talk about it at all. After he gives this amazing, you know, chicken nugget speech that I think is only rivaled by 
a certain monologue that is happening next episode. The have chest, you yeah. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing is like D sits on this fucking couch and like, like, aren't they working? You know what I yeah. mean? Like they're supposed to be selling drugs and they're always on this couch, like getting <laughs> life lessons from D and the chicken nugget speech is basically like Wallace is saying like, man, I wish I invented chicken nuggets because I'd be rich. And D's like, and like no, you, you think that the motherfucker no, who invented <laughs> chicken nuggets is rich? Right. Like he works in the McDonald's basement and then gets a high five, you know, yeah. every once in a while. So anyways, we see that and then uh, yeah. Bunk and McNulty, McNulty roll Yeah, up. yeah. He, gets, uh, he gets questioned by uh, Bunk and McNulty. I think one of the best quotes from the show uh, or from, you know, the episode, you know, it might as well have come with a raven. Uh, you know, a flying <laughs> overhead is when when Bodhi goes. You know, I think people that you know go around witnessing. I fucking hated like, that line. You really did. Yeah. Ah, uh, because it like, feels really woody. Like I, it, I, 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 our collective, like the way I sort of put the show on a pedestal. Like I just, I forget that there are some lines where it's like that gets away from like the show and tell. Like we get it. Dude, like the good think- thing about the wire is that I don't need Bodhi going like that's just the way things are around here. Like yeah, dude, yeah. Yes, do you we know. Think- like that's something that you it's in your collective memory about like the mood of the show, but like we're rewatching it years later right. and it's it's obviously that's gonna stick out and be like, Oh, like whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. A reappraisal might not be fair on that but particular that, line. You know, that's just a thing that, that kind of sets the mood in general and characterizes Bodie and you know, it's just like I can't hold you know, Presbaluski accountable it for his firing it something into a wall in season one when he's doing really amazing things in season four. And you're like, I don't care. You know, it's not, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, he gets questioned by McNulty uh, and bunk at the uh, compound. We kind of see, um, the, you know, the upper management kind of roll up uh, at the end and kind of just sit there. And for some reason, not get, yeah, they're watching. They're like they, watching yeah. the interaction. Yeah. Another plot hole. Uh, they <laughs> have the upper management there, like quite looking at uh, D and for some reason, the lawyer doesn't get to the police station after they see him get arrested for like an hour or two. No longer than that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like, yeah, you're right. Stringer watches him get arrested and then he sits in the questioning room. Yeah, for hours before anybody comes to get him. Oh, no, but I uh, think I think not – this is pretty fucking inane and I'm, I'm sorry. But I think uh, Maury, Maury says something like after he asked for a lawyer, invest, the, the questioning's over. Yeah. So I think he's like implying that the lawyer had been asked for a long time ago, but he was at like – Dinner or something? He was at dinner. You're right. And then he gets taken in, questioned, uh, and then has this really great moment where he's he's writing an apology. You know, they just say – they make up a bunch of bullshit about this guy that that got murdered, William Gant, um, the security guard that uh, testified against D'Angelo in the uh, original murder trial that opens the show. Uh, And and they kind of ask him, you know, I I know that, you know, you don't have to say anything right now, but why don't you go ahead and write a letter – to uh to his fake kids and uh tell them why you're why you're sorry because they he slips up and says i'm sorry uh which he didn't need to say and you kind of see bunks you know eyes pop out of his head and go, yeah and this yeah sorry. that was a nice moment and you're this sorry. is a really nuanced back and forth here um that we have to understand that like the cops when they're they're pushing him and they're being bald about saying like this is your fault yep. but they understand that D'Angelo is not going to say, I knew about this or that it is my fault. But yeah. they're like, everyone in the room understands that they can, that D'Angelo can engage in this catharsis without, like, you know, um, what's Self incriminating? Right, incriminating himself. Yeah. So that's like where they're pushing him to go. And he does it. He writes a letter. It was just fucking sick, like cursive handwriting, by the way. Um, I didn't notice. Was there, does he have great form? For like <laughs> great form. Yeah. Um, 
is saying like, I'm very sorry that this happened to your dad. I heard he's a good man. Whatever. You know, we can assume was in the letter. And then he gets yeah. pulled out. And then later, you can take it. He's at that barbecue. Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. He's at a barbecue. It's great. Well, like he, he goes and, you know, we meet his his family, you know, his, his wife and, and, and child. We see Stringer there who uh, – but Idris Elba is amazing with accents. I was just thinking about that as I was watching him do this like weird like Baltimore accent. Like that's a British dude. Like, well, yeah. He's much better than Dominic West too because McNulty's accent is so fucking weird. Oh, he, it is a kind of a weird accent. Um, uh, yeah, he goes to the barbecue and he has this long talk with Avon where you start to see – this rift developed between like, what do you think I did? Like, do you, Oh, so you're saying that that was me? Like, you know, there's stuff. like, cause Avon's like, yeah. why were you writing? And he's yeah. like, I don't know. They asked me I to write a letter. So I wrote like, it. I feel what? bad. The guy didn't need to die. And he's like, but you ain't, Hey, you don't have shit to have to say sorry for. And he's like, I know. That's what I told him. And then yeah. Avon's like, so why the fuck? Like, then shut your mouth. Like, what do you yeah. know? And he's like, I know nothing. But it's an like, important thing I, is D'Angelo does say to Avon, like, they have a lot of names. They had your name. They know Stringer's name. They know, like, Weebay's name. They know all these dudes' names. So the knowledge – this is the first time in the show, I believe – I mean, Stringer seeing McNulty and Bunk arrest D probably tipped him off a little bit. But this is the first time in the show, I believe, that Avon – the realization has been brought to Avon that, okay, your name's on a corkboard somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, because he's completely unaware of, of – him having any involvement with anything, I think. Right. Well, like, you have to remember in the pilot of the show is, like, nobody knew Avon Barksdale's name. And and then suddenly, like, McNulty pulls it out of the hat and then they mm-hmm. go, oh, like, the drug lord of, uh, you know, West Baltimore. And it's totally, like, unexpected, I think. Um, yeah. He, I don't understand where, and we talked about this before, but it just, it blows my mind how nobody knew his name. And I was just going to say, do you think that's realistic? Top. No, not really. Uh, but I guess, you know, obviously... These are low-level guys committing murders, right? Um, yeah. It, 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 the way that we see the political structure set up in the show, it would benefit the people, the, the power players, to have all these murders framed as, like, little street disputes and fucking, you know, disputes over money and drugs and shit. Rather yeah. than... They're only making more work for themselves by putting it all together under one kingpin. Um, but, yeah, like, you, you, you raise a good point. It, it stretches credulity to be like, no one knows this dude. Like he yeah. owns all the drug trade <laughs> in the west side of Baltimore. And you're like, Avon who? Yeah. Anyways, they're sitting on the stairs in the barbecue there. And this is clearly the first time that Avon, the knowledge is brought to him that that his name is out there. That's a really, uh, I, I, I like this moment uh, quite a bit. I, th- I think um, there's a lot of moments between, you know, D and, and, uh, and Avon. And I think that this is, the first of kind of that rift, you know, we're starting to see cracks in, in the pavement at this point mm-hmm. in, in with D and everything. And that's kind of, I think what the last two episodes were about and we'll probably see it for the next six. Right. I couldn't really, you know, tell you. Exactly. Shout, shout out to Wood Harris because he playing Avon Barksdale always does a good job of, um, like you're right. There's a rift there, but the show doesn't rely on a lot of other similar like texts and movies and stuff where, Avon has a physicality to him and he he is intimidating but like yeah he's a boxer he, he sure. doesn't overplay like he doesn't overplay the 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 threatening or like the glaring and he he's not like domineering towards D but there's like D 
D'Angelo clearly understands the gravity of the situation, and he is. It's very clear that he's like wary of his uncle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Without like you know putting him up against a wall or like threatening him any overtly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that has a lot to do with with Wood Harris, just the way that he's, he plays the role. He's very understated, and like looks, Stringer stands next to him. So you do you get think it. he looks like Riza a little bit? Yeah, like he's very angular. Uh, he has like an angular face. Lanky, and like yeah. he's just got that face. I think I, I don't know. I haven't. I remember thinking for a second that it was Rizzo and being like, what the hell? Yeah, but he doesn't talk like <laughs> marbles in his mouth. Like, yeah. no, yeah, I can't even do it. Didn't you never see Remember the Titans? Uh, is Rizzo in Remember the Titans? No, Wood Harris is. Oh, then no. All right, I let's move on. I didn't see That's fucking Remember awful. Um, well, Remember the Titans podcast coming out next week. Um, yeah. We have plenty of time for that. Yeah, remember. so that's the end of the D'Angelo arc uh, of what we see on screen. And, yeah. and you, you, you bring up a good point. I think the cracks are starting to show a little bit. Um, you know, and it's it gets back to D'Angelo's willingness to sort of engage in the activity, right? Like, yeah. for him, there's not many options. So he's forced. And not only is there not many options in his demographic, you know, yeah. but there's not many well, options for him because this, this is the is... family business. This is the family business. I was just going to say the same thing. It's the family business. It's like, you know, they could have done the show about coal miners, but it wouldn't have, nobody would have watched it, you know? Like, mm-hmm. or like white, I mean, white collar crime, somebody would have watched the show, definitely. Been like, well, oh, like, but like. Billions, billions is about white collar crime. You ever watch that? No, billions? No, because that's on Showtime, dude. And I'm <laughs> fucking, you're you're going to get Showtime to watch for Paul Giamatti. Get pissed on? No, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um, is there um uh is there urine play in that show? Is yeah, that yeah, yeah. Paul Giamatti's character is like a sexual like uh, fetishist. It's really fucking stupid. Oh, that's great. I, I'm not a I'm not a billions guy. There was an uh, I was watching Community and there was an episode where they were trying to like sympathize with somebody and you know uh, Joel McHale goes picture her as Paul Giamatti and they go no like it's just, <laughs> like oh he's so skeezy. Fucking. Love it. Paul Giamatti should have been on the wire. I'm calling it right now. So we leave this. Yeah, he could have played like Maury Levy. He could have played fucking Maury Levy. Absolutely. Um, we end this episode now on D'Angelo's arc. Uh, as I said, we leave that there. In next, in the next coming weeks, I think we'll see a lot more about the the information. Right now, we're still kind of setting up the pieces. But next week, in the, in the coming weeks, will be more about collecting the information. Yeah. Um, and we'll see where D goes there. I yeah. want to uh, talk a little bit about Daniels because Daniels. you came away from this episode feeling it was a D'Angelo episode. And I really, uh, to me, Daniel's, his character owned this episode. Do you want to be cops and I'll be robbers and we'll just project ourselves? Onto that <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I, I didn't actually like Daniel's in this episode. I think we're still in the early stage of his development. Um, yeah. and there's not much good there, but I think that the show really bakes a lot of it's a lot of the show's entire argument, right. About like the push and pull and, and, how things are incentivized and yeah. how things are not efficient and, and, and how the worst of sort of human nature can take over in these institutions. They bake a lot of that into Daniel's character in this one episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and you had a lot to say about the field interview, so I'll, I'll bring it there, but we, we already touched on the um, cannot win if you do not play. And I thought it was fascinating to see, or cannot lose if you do not play. Um, you know, I, I don't actually believe that the show believes that. Because the people who aren't playing, and we'll see this down the line with some characters that we've already talked about today, uh, the people that don't play, a lot of them eventually do lose because there's only one game in town for most of them. So watching Daniels kind of wrestle back and forth with to what extent he's trying to sit on a fence, um, it's just not working. So do you want to just talk a little bit more about uh, the field interview and the music choice in the car? 
What were they listening to? <laughs> a little Lenny Kravitz, dude. Oh, yeah, they were. <laughs> the, uh, Herc, Herc and Carver and Prez are like <laughs> drinking under a bridge because that's where characters in this show drink. They don't go yeah. bars. They buy six packs and drink and fucking... It is insane. Like, yeah, train pre, tracks. and pre like under, in this show, it's yeah, all under yeah. bridges and by under train bridges. tracks. Yeah, exactly. And in um, their car. And they're like cranking up some American woman um, by Lenny Kravitz and Herc, who is... Uh, He's like the meathead guy, right? He's like the tough He's guy totally cowboy. Meathead. He's fucking – he would be the guy that if they were in Fallujah would be like, let's fuck – you know, like kick him yeah, out of right. this door. You right. Know? Yeah, for sure. And he uh, he's like – he has the idea. We, let's, there are like six beers in each or whatever and he's like, let's go, yeah. down, to, let's go down to the towers and like let them know, you know? Yeah. You got to let um, them – like it's like they're cowboys and it's yeah. not how it works. New sheriff in town. Like he might I, – I, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually said that in my mind just like blocked it like a repressed memory. Yeah. Um, but – so they, they get in the car and they drive down there. Um, it's very it is I mentioned this earlier. It is very hard to watch it, and I can't even tell at this point if it's because I, I watched this episode last week and then I just watched it again uh, to write everything up and write the notes. But like uh, just the pit in my stomach that develops and knowing that be like yeah like let's do it. And then you get to the towers right, and it right. just it feels very like they and, almost shot it at like a different frame rate. And, and it's so falling. it's so real like you just brought it up the cinematography like the Jeez. reason that this show is very unsettling sometimes and they do such a good job of it is like it feels realistic right these guys aren't going down to the towers like sticking their dicks and like we're gonna like rape your women and fucking like you know steal your kids or whatever like yeah. if you watch crash like what was the big thing in crash like the cop like feels people up and it's like fucking like we you can be a racist without doing that you know what wow, i mean? I like, do not remember crash the same way you remember crash. I, I don't remember crash at all i watched it in like social studies crash <laughs> like uh <laughs> it, like one of the dirty cops like feels up uh terrence howard's wife in crash this is a diversion but what i'm saying is like nothing really happens at the towers like the Herc and Carver they kind of they make they, they degrade a couple guys they they find yeah. them standing outside they make them fucking like lay down hey stay down you know who we are whatever and then you know people are kind of hollering in like there's a kid laying on the car and, and Prez like hits him with the butt of his pistol. And like, that's real. That's, I'm not saying that that's like, well, whatever that happens, but I'm just saying, you know, the show didn't go deep into like, they, they didn't have to go over the outside of the realm of reality to try to disturb you. Yeah. Um, and then what happens is people start They're, throwing stuff. Yeah. Uh, would you, I, I wrote this in the thing. If you lived in section eight housing, would you throw your television out the window? Yes or no? Um, well, let's note first. Maybe it doesn't start. It. it doesn't start with the TV. Uh, okay. It starts yeah, like a beer bottle here, beer bottle there, start, some trash. They start then, firing guns though. At some point. They well, the, the TV hits. Up. The TV hits, and then people start firing. So they're like they're in a courtyard where the the unmarked car is parked, and then like people are throwing shit down on top of them, and shooting guns down at them. Um, the TV question is actually ever... like very. This is like this is as close as the show probably gets to mirroring some what's going on today um in cities like baltimore or like st louis or ferguson yeah. um i don't know would i throw my tv out no but i don't like i have a nice tv and i live in not there <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. The co- it, did the cop like it, it, the other side of that hypothetical is like did the cops just make me pull down my pants and fucking lay down and like does that happen all the time so yeah yeah um, can you mike just in a few words can you speak for the plight of uh, uh black right, right so it's like not for me to say whether or not i yeah. throw my tv down and if i didn't if i didn't i can guarantee you i wouldn't have thrown it down because i want my tv not because i, I got it up yeah yeah 
No, like I got Duke, who's our repairman at the restaurant, to hang my TV up, dude. And I'm not fucking taking that shit <laughs> off the wall. I need two people, and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I can do pull-ups on that thing, dude. It's a great mount. It's a solid mount. So um, this this is a Prez moment because we saw him fire his pistol into the wall early in the episode. firing blindly into a residential <laughs> By mistake because he was trying to sh- – yeah, and now he's like shooting how, through the windows and stuff. How the fuck did I – do I ever root for this guy? You know what I mean? Like I, seeing him now and I'm like how – the like his journey must be insane. I don't remember it exactly but it must be insane if I'm like rooting for this guy later. And well, now he's firing what I, blindly what I, into what I a think, housing project. Yeah, and what I think I tried to say earlier when I was setting up how they they sort of like make people extreme to move them to the other side and it, it's really yeah. kind of touching and affirming. Th- this feels like it might have been too far. Like – it is shocking because he becomes a sympathetic character, and in my, you know now looking back on it, it's like you're right. Like, how do we get there? This, that's not the same guy. It's not at all. Well, growth is important for you know characters and everything. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's a lot. Well, I guess you know people whatever people change. Um, do you have any? Change, you know, the next morning Daniel shows up, like I already talked about, and he basically walks them through. What did you think about Daniel's decision um, and his demeanor in this conversation? Well, I love that he's like, you two fucking shit for brains talking to like Hurricane Carver. And then yeah. like Prez is like, oh, it was like the shit for brains that fired around into an empty wall earlier. Like it was me. It wasn't that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why you think it was that. But like Herc, we learned that Herc has a history of um, police brutality charges against him. Mm-hmm. Four in the last – did they give you a time frame? It was a lot. It was like a lot of – Yeah, he's like four in the last year. Yeah, that's a lot of police brutality, mm-hmm. honestly. I mean, I, I can't speak for what the average like, jacket looks like. But, it feels like know. such a throwaway line. Like, if if there was a show, like, this goes to, like, what is The Wire about? But it's like, if there was a show about police brutality, right? Yeah. I don't know. They, they just, they bake everything in on such a low level that it, it you have to realize, like, it's hard. It's like the frog getting boiled, right? Like, he doesn't yeah. understand. The water's getting warmer and warmer before he's dead before he even realizes what was happening. Like, this yeah. show throws away all these little lines. And, like, they're painting a picture you don't even see, really, the stroke mark. So, it's like, Daniel's, oh, this is your fourth, you know, brutality case in the last year or whatever. And it's, that's, they just fucking move past it. Like, if this, yeah. it's not, this is, this moment's not about Herc, like, overcoming his uh, prejudices or, or it's just a fact. You, you know, know what? If if they made this show now, I guarantee it would be like Orange is the New Black and they would fucking put like a whole episode where interlaced in the whole like episode, there's like clips of like Carver like committing police brutality and like humanizing <laughs> yeah. him. And like that would be how they would structure the show. Whereas now it's like they just mention it and it's all chronological, but there's no right. flashback. It, it, it's not it, – it, it, we're not, I'm, I'm talking about the weight that they put on that comment, and they are not, in my opinion, they're not diminishing his action at all. It's just no. the way that they choose they're to like, paint the you pictures. got caught for the fourth time. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, they, they're not putting a lot of emphasis on it, not because David Simon didn't think it was important or because it's not important to the show. Both of those things are false. They just, the way that they paint these pictures is like a tiny bit at a time. Yeah. Um, it's just, to me, that's like one of the most compelling aspects of the entire series. Not that line, but just the way that they do it. Just Daniels, the way that they, what specifically? Sorry. I like the way, the way that they, the way they build characters. So like we were talking yeah. about, um, when we spoke about Rawls in the gay bar or yeah. anything, like there's a million little examples that we'll, we'll get over in the coming weeks, but just that little line I'm saying about Herc, you are like, you are a brutal police officer, right? Yeah. But it's not, a, it's not the show standing up on a soapbox. It's not the show turning to the audience and like trying to teach a lesson. It's just a throwaway yeah. line and they move past it yeah. and all that stuff adds up. Yeah. Daniels yeah, makes yeah. a quick uh, calculation in his head. I think about 
his career and his prospects and protecting himself and instructs yep. these guys basically to lie to internal affairs. Yeah, yeah. Practice, you know, make it a routine and, and practice what you're going to say because if you fuck up with an attorney, you're going to be paying for it for a long time. Is almost his exact words to um, Prez after Prez Belusky says, it was me who punched that kid in the face. And no one's talking about, uh, you know, Prez Belusky had to do a write-up on why it was necessary to use lethal force against the wall when he fired his gun then. Yeah. But presumably now it's fine because he fired it into a housing project three times I, I guess right. That makes yeah. Sense of, yeah. Like he goes on desk duty. Everything. He he is he, he does he is he does get taken off the street, so we can assume that he's doing some paperwork. All right. Um, but I, I I don't make any. I'm I'm a Daniels guy, and I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. After five seasons, and even early on, I I've always liked Daniels. I I find him to be very sympathetic. But I want to get your thoughts on his decision here and how you really came away from the episode feeling about uh, Cedric Daniels. Oh, it just um it just makes you know we pick our battles in careers and know when to raise your head up and, and make us think about it. And you know, when to just kind of lay down and, and take it for lack of a better term. Uh, and I think that this is kind of him picking his battles kind of like if he's going to cross a line, it's going to be because something major happens and he needs to protect, you know, the integrity of this investigation, especially with now decreased resources. They lost a the car, they lost radios, they lost shotguns, they lost Kevlar vests, everything. Like I, I think that he's really trying to, uh, just kind of, if he's going to cross the line, it's it's for the right reasons. But it, it's there's a lot at play with Daniels because I think I think the good Daniels, right, like the Daniels yeah. that's inside of him or the one that we like, is actually the one who covers up for these guys because yeah, it's yeah. it's somewhat relatable. Like these are You're my right. guys. This is Daniels. my operation. But because what he's doing when he covers up stuff, his motivation in the show, which is like, if if this was the Daniel sitting in the boardroom, why wouldn't he just go in and be like? Get this, like, this fucking guy is off my team. Get him out of here. Yeah. I don't care, right? Yeah. Like, this or this investigation is fucked, and I need a new team, and this is like, or I need to get off it, right? But yeah. he doesn't do that. And what he's doing is creating, like, a cover-up, which could be horrible for him. It, it, yeah. if, if, Fre- if Freddie Gray happened and reality shifted, right, and yeah. and, Her- and Herc or Prez did the next Freddie Gray, and all of a sudden, like, you know, B- you know if BLM had came around in 2003, Daniel's out of a fucking job. Yeah, 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 yeah. This show doesn't like when somebody gets killed in the projects in the show. There is not a you know a march for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? That's that's not a part of of that. But you're absolutely right. It would be a much larger problem for for this show now. Uh, and I really I've talked about it before, but uh, David Simon wrote a letter after all everything that happened in Baltimore in 2014, and mm. I haven't read it, so maybe I should go read that before I Yeah, do we can read things, that so. for one of these next weeks, but yeah. I, I, to me, this is just such a Cedric Daniels episode. You know, he yeah. can't figure out how to do the politics, and then, like, even this thing that we like seeing him do is fucked up and, like, is also not right, but at least it's, like, relatable. So he's get, you're getting, like, the, the worst of both worlds. Yeah. And until he chooses a side, which I think he does this season, maybe later. I don't even really, I don't even really remember. He does, but uh, yeah. un- until he does, like you're just going to keep seeing failure on both sides from him. Yeah. Um, we're going to finish this episode. We have a few minutes left. Uh, we're going to revisit D'Angelo's Nugget speech. I'm going to probably cede the floor to Parker for a little bit. I feel like you have a lot going on with uh, Nuggets in your head, <laughs> um, and we'll get to that when we get right back. Go, man. We Oh, he off the hook. What? Mm. Motherfucker got the bone all the way out the damn chicken. Till he came along, niggas been chewing on drumsticks and shit, getting their fingers all greasy. He said, later for the bone. Snuggle that meat up and make some real money. 
I think the man got paid. Who? Man who invented these. Shit, he richer than a motherfucker. Why? You think he get a percentage? Why not? Nigga, please. The man who invented them things, just some sad ass down at the basement of McDonald's. Thinking up some shit to make some money for the real players. Nah, man, that ain't right. Fuck right. It ain't about right, it's about money. Now, you think Ronald McDonald gonna go down that basement and say, hey, Mr. Nugget, you the bomb. We selling chicken faster than you can tear the bone out. So I'm gonna write my clowny ass name on this fat ass check for you. And the nigga who invented them things, still working in the basement for regular wage, thinking of some shit to make the fries taste better, some shit like that. Believe. Still have the idea, though. All right, that was our last break. Uh, we're coming to an end on episode two, the detail. Um, shit, I'm just going to get out of the way. Parker, why don't you introduce the nugget, se- the nugget segment here? Yeah, is this is this a part where I say, "Hey, like you can play the audio of the Nugget speech now if you can find it." <laughs> yeah, no, All I right. will have played that. I will have played that before. So, so these you, segues today, the segues now, are fucking kicking. Okay, so before this, you're gonna now put the audio of Chicken Nugget speech in the thing. Yeah. So then I don't need to recap. Okay, cool. But basically, I mean, the, the conversation goes, uh, uh, D'Angelo, they're eating, you know, Wallace and Poot, or not Poot, um, Bodie, and. Um, uh, oh shit. It's just Wallace. It's Wallace, Wallace Bodie, Bodie, and D'Angelo. And D'Angelo. And they're eating chicken nuggets on this the couch in the middle of uh, the low rises. And they're all talking about, uh, you know, McNuggets. And, like, the guy who invented these must be a genius. Uh, you know, he must make so much money. And, and D is like, no. Like, the guy who invented chicken McNuggets works in the basement of McDonald's and got paid, you know, a salary and didn't make shit money compared to, like, the guys who own McDonald's. Like, that's how the world works. Like, this is... You know, you're either the guy who owns McDonald's or you're the guy who makes McDonald's. Yeah, he's like, do you think Ronald McDonald came down there and was like, yeah, Mr. Fucking- Nugget, great idea. I'm going to yeah. write my clowny-ass name on this big check. <laughs> yeah, so we have this really uh, great kind of moment, again, a dichotomy uh, of of Wallace, who is young and innocent. And, and I, I think he's the most innocent person on the show, regardless of the fact that he works, you know, as a, a hopper. Or, he's not even a hopper. He's like above a hopper at this point, right? Yeah, well, whatever, yeah. like, whatever he is, like, Bodhi clearly, there's something in Bodhi that's, like, made for the made for it, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if he thinks it's, like, righteous or not, but it's just, for him, I don't think it was ever, you know, it was his family business as well, and he just took to it. Um, yeah. Wallace, I think we see early on as a guy who's, like, he also had no other option, but, like, really isn't probably suited for what's going on around him. Yeah. So you're right. Like his initial thought is like, hey, this person did something good. They must have been rewarded for it, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and D'Angelo, D'Angelo was like, like, that is not how the world works. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Like just this idealism of like this guy is smart. He must be, you know, on top or he must be rewarded or he must be famous. And you're like, no, it's it's not really how it works. But we actually – I did a little bit of digging and by that I mean I just Googled chicken nuggets and I found uh, <laughs> something really interesting. And that – um uh, chicken McNuggets were invented by a man named Oh Jesus! I had it up and then I I threw it away. I have it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's like Baker. okay, it's chicken like- nuggets were invented by Robert C. Baker. Now yes. Robert C. Baker had was not in the food business. He is an academic from Cornell University who worked in food science, and <laughs> he published the process and the science behind the chicken nugget in an academic journal, unpatented. So I I don't know if Simon and Burns like I don't I don't. 
Yeah, like, I hate like reading too or, much into yeah. like what they did or didn't know or what the show was trying to say or not. But it is funny that the guy Baker himself probably had a lot. He probably had a lot more to gain by patenting it and selling yeah. it to McDonald's or you know. He's whoever. been called. Uh, uh, the Ronald C. Baker has been called the George Washington Carver of chicken nuggets, uh, which or of chicken, of poultry in general. He's in. He's the in the poultry, poultry Hall of Fame. Fame. Yeah. Which I included a link to on the thing I sent to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have I looked at their minutes and they have like one page of minutes every year. And they have an annual <laughs> meeting and they have like one page of minutes where they talk about like who's getting plaques or whatever. Like how much stuff can happen in this uh, in this really great poultry hall of fame. But uh, yeah, it's ironic that the guy who who did invent the chicken McNuggets did so purely out of wanting to help. Um, you know, of of just academic pursuit he also did um this is interesting um he had uh like over 40 like major like poultry innovations he invented uh something that made it easier for breading to stick on raw meat as well so like mcnuggets were like really like i mean they were gross if, if it they weren't like, a, like if a, it weren't that's for him, disgusting dude <laughs> if, if it weren't if it weren't for um Ronald C. baker the chicken mcnuggets wouldn't exist for sure um this whole, I don't know. It, so he might have been wealthy, like too much. but he didn't yeah. get rich off McNuggets. He's an academic. He's not, you know, McDonald's or whatever. Have you seen The Founder, by the way? No. Oh, never mind. Here's have my you? pitch to go see The Founder. Well, no, because I don't like, um, and I talked to you about this with Straight Outta Compton. I don't want to get too off track, but anytime I watch movies where, like, the people involved are, like, still living and, like, major commercial entities, like, uh, in Straight Outta Compton, like, Dr. Dre and Ice Cube, and you're just, like, you know that, like, they had a say in producing that movie because, like, Ice Cube's kid is in it. Like, that's not an accurate portrayal of, like, everything that happens. Yeah, you just can't yeah. trust it. They yeah, said that that, uh, they said the New Edition documentary on BET, not documentary, the New Edition movie, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, no, I don't know, actually. That was supposedly really good, and even though a lot of the principals are still involved, I guess it was like warts and all. That was supposed to be very good. But, um, you know, just quickly finishing up the Nugget thing. I have an idea, I think, a little bit of how this plays into the show, but do you, what did you take from that? Well, like, you know, you have to know your role inside of any system that you're in. Like, D knows that, uh... He is kind of uh, for you know next week. He's he's not a pawn, but he's certainly not the king. He's not the guy who who calls the shots about anything. He's maybe even the guy who invents McNuggets and doesn't get any credit for it. He's the guy that's at the bottom that's working his way back up to get back into the towers, or you know he's just playing his own mm-hmm. kind of thing. But he's also having big you know riffs. Uh, you know, is he the guy who he yeah, he's figuring out who he is in his own system. Uh, so it's really interesting that he can kind of objectively pick out like the guy who invented chicken McNuggets isn't making any money. Like it's the guy who owns, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And actually, they talk about in the founder, they say like it's not the guy who owns the you know hamburger shop. It's the guy who owns the lease to the hamburger shop. You know, so right so they talk exactly about, you know, real estate and everything. So in yeah, the, this show has a, exactly what you just said. I agree with everything, and I would go even further to say like, you know, a guy like McNulty. Um, He's the nugget inventor in this in this show, at least up until this point. And here's what I mean. Like, the show has a complicated relationship with, with merit. And I think when you see young people like Wallace and naive people who are older, but I think we all start life in school or whatever having faith in merit, being like, I'm smart, right? So I'm going to be rewarded. Or I have good ideas, even more importantly, so I'm going to be rewarded. Yeah. But I think what the show is, is saying week in and week out is like the people who are like um, – the people who are rewarded – 
it, it doesn't always add up. They're the ones who yeah. play the game. So it's like uh, Burrell, who's the deputy ops, who's like a fucking bumbling idiot. Um, yeah. You know, D'Angelo's is the bad is, guy. No, am I making this up? Sorry. He is the one. Um, we actually might not have met him yet in this episode. Um, I don't think we've met Burrell yet. I think I know Burrell. I don't think we've seen him yet. Well, anyways, like I, I, I just think it's, I think it's very, very smart and interesting that D'Angelo is delivering sort of like another one of the show's main theses, even though he doesn't, it's like this hood wisdom and yeah. you know, it's not really based in fact. He doesn't know who Ron C Baker, Rob Baker is yeah. or whatever, but he sees the world for what it is, which is like, it's not a meritocracy. And the, the, the important skills are knowing basically like who can, Oh, it's like suction. You know what I mean? You yeah. got to find that suction. There um, are a few uh, monologues in the show that make reference to like facts that are like unconfirmed and totally like this kind of spiral of like, like you don't know that, like, no, you don't know. And there's a few mm-hmm. monologues like that and I'm not thinking of them right now, but this is my favorite um, so far. I think there was one last episode though that we might've missed. So, you know, um, just m- an episode. M- Sorry. I was going to say, I was just going to finish my thought and say, which I know is taking a little while, but McNulty is a guy who still believes, I be, I think he still really believes in merit as a, as a value. Like yep. it's very important for him to people that look at him and go, he's capable or, or he's smarter than everybody else or whatever. He's, you know, he has determination. He has these qualities that are all founded in merit and none of them are about knowing, um, you know, being an empath or knowing how to find needs in the organization and exploit them or knowing yep. how to politic your way up the ladder. Um, I think and, he becomes more and more Machiavellian. Uh, right. Sure. He becomes yeah. cartoonish, but, but yeah. you know, it, it, it still is always aimed at, at exposing his own idea of merit. And what is the bunk say? Somebody says, I never, I forgot about this, but somebody said in episode one, like, you're going to end up on a boat. Did you hear that? Yeah. Or did I make that I did up? Hear that. No, no, you, that's, yeah. They're like, yeah, you'll be working the overnight or something. And that's a, a, a little bit of some pleasant foreshadowing. I made a conscious decision not to talk about it. Thank you very little, but that's, uh, no, cause I, I didn't want to, you know, I mean, the boat is just whatever. It's a stand in just for McNulty's basically his, his, his like career prospects, but it's a little bit of foreshadowing. Like yeah. we can go ahead right now and say, this is a guy who never makes Lieutenant and never makes major and never goes anywhere politically. Um, yeah. but he believes like Wallace does, who's a child in, in the power of merit. Hey, what's the um, metaphor of a boat? I'm just kidding. It's an actual boat. <laughs> do you there, have anything else? Uh, yeah, well, we have to do MVPs and LVPs, right? Oh, shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. Oh, God. Forget to do it? No, no, no. I have some thoughts. Why don't we start with your MVP of the episode? Okay. Uh, I think it's I, – I have a couple of candidates. Uh, number one, uh, the coroner for being able to eat yogurt while uh, dissecting uh, bodies at the very beginning of the show. Yeah, and, like, and there's a guy with a – And he's just like <laughs> eating yogurt like I don't even – this is my breakfast, guys. Like, yeah, and there's a guy with a saw going behind him like sawing into dead bodies. Yeah, and he's just eating there eating yogurt. So I would say he's my runner-up for MVP, but uh, I think the MVP is – uh, Bubs still a guy that goes, you know, he's still going out in the line every day. He's fighting. He is the biggest idealist on the show. Well, he he mixes idealism and, and, and realism. Right. I don't think he's an idealist, but I think the show puts all its idealism into that character. You know what I yeah, mean? Absolutely. Like, yeah. He's kind of a tragic figure, but all the good in the show up until now is represented in him because yeah. he's innocent. You know, he's he's pure, even though he's you know a you know, a serious heroin junkie. Uh, he's pure, which is, is crazy. I, I, so I think that Bubs is the MVP of the episode for sticking his neck out. All right. 
for me, this was between um, Maury Levy because his introduction is just so good. And I, I typed this in our doc, but like when, the, you know, every the, the, the camera, the filming of the show is really, really dry. But like when he's walking into the office, like the, the, the pace quickens and like the door slams open and he just like screams like, what the fuck? Because he sees yeah. like D'Angelo like writing. Writing, and yeah. I was like laughing. Um, but it's, it's not Maury Levy. It's, um, shit, this is going to lose theme. Who was I just thinking of? Is it not Daniels for you? That would shock me. No, I, I, I got a different thing for Daniels. Um, oh, I, I, I got to give it to, uh, and this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I, I love him. And I thought he was strong in this episode. Bunk. Um, Bunk's role in the show is one of the more. Oh no, that's not him. That's Sorry. Clay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You are you race blind, dude? Uh, um, <laughs> no, Bunk's role in the show is always something kind of interesting to talk about because he he's not peripheral. Like he's an important character and he's a fully fleshed out character, but he doesn't exist because he's never on the detail. Um, yeah. He doesn't exist like in the rigmarole of the the Barksdale uh, case. So I forgot that he wasn't in the detail until this episode where I'm like, oh, Bunk's not McDonald's partner, and then I realized that. It's just for the detail. I love how they use bunk as like a window to the outside of the detail world inside the police department. So like, you know, the show is not just about Avon Barksdale. We get these little detours where you see bunk kind of, I think he's like one of the more relatable characters because he's a guy who is just kind of like making it through the day. I think he cares and he wants to do a good job. Um, I think he does do a good job, but I think he leaves it at work a little bit. He's not as, he's not an egomaniac like McNulty. Um. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think Bunk. I, I think getting to see a little bit more of Bunk this up this week was nice, and I liked the moment he, him putting his kids on the table, saying that they were the witnesses' kids. Um, yeah, that's some a big of his move. his facial expressions in that, and then when the story gets published in the Baltimore Sun that the murder was dead, and Bunk, he I think it's his first. Call. It's his first. Yeah. You happy now, bitch? I believe. Yeah. <laughs> um. But he's like wakes up McNulty and goes, "Go get the paper." And McNulty's just yeah. looking at him and he says, "You happy now, bitch?" Uh, they're a really great improv team, the uh, most underrated improv team of the Lions so far. Uh, McNulty yeah. and uh, uh, Bunk are, are phenomenal. You know, it's always yes and with those. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. I just love it. Yeah. Um, give me it's your mope. Ah. Uh, uh, Mike, easy call. <laughs> easy call for me this week. I'm thinking, and uh, I think I'll keep it, yeah, Presbo. I think it's the guy who uh, fired a gun into a blank wall and then had to write uh, – I don't know, presumably like an essay or like I shouldn't fire my uh, weapon into the wall 500 times on a chalkboard like Bart Simpson or whatever he does. That Is that the worst thing that he did this week for you? Uh, no, I think it was firing uh, into a uh, apartment building without being able to see a specific target <laughs> because he heard gunshots. I think that's probably him. And or, somewhere um, in there finding the time to blind a teenager. Yeah, blinding a teenager. That's really good. Yeah. Pistol whipping a fucking 14-year-old kid. All right, I agree. He's in critical condition at university. This is like the third time that we've recorded this segment, so I will just say that. <laughs> whoa, had, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> the counter at Disney World. <laughs> and uh, we had talked a little bit about Daniels being um, still pretty mopey as not 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 committing fully to the uh, detail and, and, and feeling a little bit uh, attracted to the idea of not Growth. playing so he can't lose. But, uh, yeah, there's some, there's some – well, he hasn't yet. He hasn't okay. yet. All right. All right. That is oh, no, finally. No, 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 no. We can keep going. Do you want to keep this going? No, that is finally it. I'm, I gotta go. I gotta right. go. I didn't mean to call you back. No, it's but okay. uh, anyways, next week we'll be back um, with episode three. 
We have an interesting song to play you out with. Uh, Still didn't look up the name of the next episode. Chosen. Chosen by Parker Gerard. Uh, I think you'll find very interesting. As always, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. I'm Mike Agus. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Robert C. Baker died on a Monday. We all know his work, although few knew his name. A Cornell professor who taught poultry science, forever enshrined in the Poultry Hall of Fame. 84 years worth of food innovation Chicken dogs, turkey dogs, and turkey ham Beyond them all stands Baker's greatest creation For Baker begat chicken nuggets for man Oh Nugget Man, oh Nugget Man and college kids eat when he invented a way to get breading to adhere much better to raw chicken meat his new method led fast food chains in the 80s to develop and market a new bite-sized snack food made from mechanically recovered meat and anti-foaming products Reconstituted meat slurry and extra chicken skin for its binding properties. Oh, Nugget Man, oh, Nugget Man, heading on down to that old promised land. Guts, feet, and beaks now don't get thrown away since the Nugget Man came away. The king of the burgers is morning with Popeye. The colonel has arranged a 21-gun salute. The churches are silent but for Wendy's weeping. And Ronald has hung up his big yellow clown suit. Robert C. Baker's last will was specific that his bones be removed and he be ground up real fine and to place his remains into small cardboard coffins and bury the pieces six at a time Oh Nugget Man, oh Nugget Man Heading on down to that old promised land Dipped into his honey mustard filled grave We're glad the Nugget Man Nugget Man